In 2015, Dan Price made headlines when he committed to give every one of his 120 employees at Gravity Payment, his credit card processing company, a minimum wage of $70,000. To help fund this initiative, Dan cut his own salary from $1.1 million to $70,000. His business and employees have been thriving since the change. I'm Leah Levy, co-founder of Nanato Media, and this is In Camera Podcast, where great things happen when you lead with a humanistic approach. podcast private legal marketing conversations grace thank you very much for being here today how are you good how are you grace i'm okay surviving i'm not gonna be uh lying about this it's been a rough week right Uh, a lot of uncertainty a lot of anxiety but at the same time i think um there's a lot of opportunity and there's uh it's really a great time for us to be more um introspective about what is it that uh, it's happening internally in our businesses and what is it that we can do right now during these difficult times, not just to make positive changes, but to reinforce everything that we're doing. And for that particular reason, Grace, I'm very excited about the conversation that we're going to have today because it's so relevant and it's so important for us to um, talk about this that I'll let you uh, do the honors of introducing our next uh, guest. So in today's episode, everybody, we are thrilled to welcome attorney Eric Farber from Pacific Workers Compensation Law Center for a conversation on law firm culture. So Eric's focus on culture has helped him build a seven-figure firm that's gone from four people to 40 in just five years. It's been an Inc. 5000 company twice, was named to the Bay Area 100 list of fastest growing companies and spent two consecutive years in the top 50 of Law Firm 500. And most recently, Eric published the book, The Case for Culture, where he shares the wisdom and tools lawyers need to transform themselves and their law firm's culture. The book is available on Amazon as a hardcover, paperback, Kindle, or ebook, and has tremendous value. Eric? Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to In Camera Podcast. Hey, welcome. Uh, thank you for having me. And uh, we, we, I just uh, have been going through the audio files, so Audible will be available pretty soon on the book as well. So pretty excited about that. Oh, amazing. How yeah. convenient. I must say I have the Kindle version of it. I'm in the process of uh, finalizing the book, and it's amazing, Eric. Thank you so much for putting it out there and sharing so much in there. So, Eric, just to get started in the conversation, I have a question for you. Um, Your title is CEO and Chief Legal Officer of Pacific Workers' Compensation Law Center. Can you please explain to our audience why you use this title instead of uh, just managing partner? Well, one, I'm actually a shareholder because of our our um, our structure. So we we aren't partners; we're shareholders in our company. But really, a law firm is a business, so I I look at it as a business, and I want to use the title as a business. 
uh, as, C- as chief executive officer. And chief legal officer, you know, I've kind of always put it in there because even though I'm really not that, that um, um, my Bilal Qasim, who I started this with, uh, the co-founder, he really is that. He's kind of the managing attorney, I guess, is the easiest way to put it. But I always feel like every letter that goes out, every email, anything that actually happens, I'm responsible for. So I sort of say chief legal officer um, and, you know the buck stops here, so to speak, right? That makes perfect sense. I mean, you know how many times, Leo, right, that I bring everything back to business, right, to other different types of business and different ways of looking at it. So I appreciate that, um, Eric, because that's exactly what we try to do here is let people know that this is the business of law. And so having this conversation with you about the culture of the business of law is going to be great. We appreciate it. Yeah, I think there's a lot that, and the reason why we, we brought up that question is because there's a lot that you can learn about the organization alone just by hearing uh, the title and the way that your organizational structure is looking. And so uh, I appreciate for you giving us that insight. And I guess now let's just uh, get started with some of the uh, valuable information that you recently talk about in your book. So, um, Eric, one of the things you mentioned in your book is you differentiate between what is the difference uh, between having shareholders for your business and having stakeholders. Can you give us a glimpse into that? Sure. I mean, it's not so much every business, every organization has sort of the shareholders who are the owners of the company itself. And the difference between that and what stakeholders are, which really is everybody that the business touches. So that's the team, the employees, the team, the community, the clients, of course, the vendors, and everybody that's associated with that. So that's every every kid sitting at home that is getting a meal from, you know, from the paychecks that their parents are bringing home. Everybody that the company touches are the stakeholders. And, um, and for, for many years in this country, um, and it really started, uh, it, it started probably in about the 50s with, with uh, Friedman saying that the purpose of a business is to generate profits. And if you actually go back further than that to Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations, it really says the purpose of a business is to, is to feed its consumers, so to speak. And so that's a focus on the consumers and the people who are going to buy your services. And but, you know, Milton Friedman comes along and he basically says, you know, you have to uh, generate profits. And that shifted the focus of a business to the shareholders. In fact, I believe it's even codified uh, for in most state in most state uh, corporation codes to that they have to, especially for public businesses, that they have to. Um, think of the shareholders first. And thinking of the shareholders first is really a bad way to operate. Because if you think about the clients first and what you're and what you're serving, and you think about the teams and what you're doing for them, whether it's personal or professional development, whether it's you know paying more, whether it's being transparent, whether it's being a soft place to land for them, whether it's be you know a place of safety where they can raise their hand and say, I don't understand this, or I may have screwed this up or I'm having a really hard time today, or I'm having a really hard time this week, then then the focus is on the people who are taking care of the customers rather than just a focus on 
how much profit can we get? And I think, you know, there's some great examples of when people, when companies focus on profit more than they focus on the teams, then, you know, you have some really bad violations of ethics. You know, Wells Fargo is an, an incredible example of this in order for them to make their quarterly numbers, they decided to open up accounts where people didn't even know they had accounts to charge them fees. And that the whole purpose of that was to make the quarterly numbers. So they do away with their ethics. They do away with the values of the company and, and, and everybody pays. And so when you turn your focus around and you really think about the clients and the teams that, that are taking care of the clients, then things start to change. And in the end, the shareholders profit. That's super important, Eric. Thank you so much for bringing that. I think that really helps me um, kind of frame the conversation as well, because so I'm going to mention something. I am actually a double major in marketing economics. So I happened to read Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations. And so when you were mentioning it, it just brought like a smile to my face because you're right, right? It's, it's about the people. And that is what this conversation is. It's about the culture and the people, not necessarily stakeholders first. So my next question is, you lead your law firm with what you call a humanistic approach. Sure. Can you explain a little bit about what that means to our um, audience? A humanistic approach is, is to make sure that people feel like they have autonomy over their job, even though they might be said, it might be said, look, this is how we do things. Um, and, and I use this, you know, this old, uh, this old, um, uh, saying, I guess is the best way to say it is, is, you know, is the, is the woman who, who, you know, is preparing the roast for Sunday night dinner and she cuts off the ends of the roast and her daughter says, well, why do I, why do you cut off the ends of the roast? And she says, cause that's the way my mother did it. And so she calls her grandmother and, and says, why do you cut the ends of the roast? And she says, well, that's the way, you know, your great grandmother did it. And she calls her great grandmother and says, why do you cut the ends of the roast? And she says, well, I don't do that anymore. Back when, back when your grandmother was growing up, our oven was too, our pan was too small. So I had to cut the ends of the roast off to fit it in the pan. Just because somebody does something a certain way doesn't mean it's right. And so we always say the same thing. And we've got this thing called the failure log where people have it with them and, and they write down any mistakes they see. And so they get to bring those mistakes up and then they get to say, hey, I've got an idea to change this mistake. I've got an idea to make the process better. So even though you give them, you know, you give them a way to do things, you, you also give them autonomy over how they're doing them. How often have you called a big company and you said, you know, this is really ridiculous, um, you know, and you're talking to the person on the phone and the person on the phone says, yeah, we know it's really ridiculous, but nobody will listen to us. Well, that's not autonomy over a job, right? If people feel like they have autonomy and they feel like they're, they're, people are, are grateful for them being there every day, that, start, that starts changing the way they think about where they're sitting. You know, most people will sit in a cubicle for most of their lives, right? In their work lives, at least. You, they, it, has to, it has to be something that they want to do. Otherwise, you know, they'll just go to the next place because it's a one one by one bigger cubicle. So the true humanistic approach is understanding that, you know, you can't you can't look at people and the old saying of leave your personal life at the door is just simply ridiculous. You know, 
I'm joining this podcast and we're getting kicked in the teeth every few hours right now. And so, you know, one of the things I did, I know that I'm not the only one that's feeling stressed. I'm not the only one that's feeling nervous about what's going on. I'm in, I'm in the Bay area. I basically haven't left my house as of three o'clock today in a week. So I know that everybody is feeling this way. I have spent my time this week joining Zoom calls with our team. And then we had a full Zoom call with everybody today because we want to be as transparent as possible. I also want to see their faces and I want them to know that we're here. I'm on uh, Microsoft Teams all day long. So anybody can just jump and say, hey, Eric, I need to talk to you. Um, And even if they don't, I want them to know that that's okay. I mean, 10 minutes before this, five minutes before this, my marketing director, you know, she has it. So um, we have to deal with that. And, um, And we have to be humanistic in our approach to things. We do all sorts of different things that are, you know, we'll, you know, occasionally have a meditation session. We have wellness walks. We have, you know, stretching. We have all these different things. Certainly those are great. But what really matters is that you can listen to people and understand what they're coming to work with, what's going on in their lives. So we can address those things and we can say, hey, you're you're among family here. You know, um, we we know you're not going to be able to pay attention in that deposition today. We're going to cover it for you. You know, um, you got something going on with your family back home. You know, we just had this. Oh, maybe a month ago, I came back and one of our uh, director level people, um, uh, you know, I said, hell, where, where is she? And they said, she's in Mexico. Um, her grandmother's very sick and, um, and, and there's nobody else to go take care of her. And she's probably going to pass. And um, I said, oh, I'll give her a call and make sure she's doing okay. It wasn't where the hell are you? We have work to do. The work can sometimes wait, but the amazing thing is, is when you build this kind of teamwork, that what I have found is the people step in around them to sort of take care of the other people. And they know that they're going through it. And they also know they do the same for them. So our teams of three, which are our case management teams, are very very um, constantly operating on teams of two. So, uh, because they're, they're covering for each other, you know, the likelihood that something's going on in somebody, somebody's life, it's it's happening all the time. Yeah. Eric, thank you so much for sharing that. And I think having read your book, you, your law firm has had its fair share of, uh, situations where you guys have really had to come together and support other team members during difficult times. And the resilience that, uh, that you can see that exists within your team is, is amazing and it's tremendous. And so I really think that, that, uh, uh is probably 
the best example of uh, what what the right culture, what the right values can do for your law firm. And so, without any doubt, we we are fully confident that that you guys will continue uh, in your great path to success despite these uh, difficult times that we are all in. And so, I think a lot of us can take a lot of inspiration in the way that you're handling your team right now and such. So, uh, you've mentioned something, and I'd like to dive into that a little bit more. So, um, you're telling us that. Uh, you're being remote for this whole week uh, since pretty much last Friday. Uh, thank you very much for for taking those steps to keep your community and your team safe. Um, how's how's your days looking like right now? So you say you're available on on Teams uh, throughout the day. So if any one of your team members needs you, how are you managing a client uh, anxieties? How how things are uh, working now uh, for you in a way that yes, it's stressful, but you guys need to stay strong and be and be a pillar to both your clients and those team members that rely on you. Well, there's three pillars. You know, it's team, clients, community. And, um, one we're, we're, we, I've always felt technology, every company is a technology company. You can be a law firm, but you're a technology company too, right? Um, you can be a media company. You're probably closer to a technology company. You could be a dry cleaner right now. You could be a technology company. Um, so we spend an awful lot of our budget every year on uh, cloud-based systems. So, um, we, we have a lot of extra laptops and things like that in the office. We brought everybody together. It's now a week ago, Tuesday, I said within one week, we want to be home. Um, I've been, I think it's our duty as leaders to make sure we know what's coming down the pike. Anticipation is one of the greatest things a leader can have. Um, it's the great line by Jeremy Irons in the movie Margin Call. If nobody's ever seen it. It's a great movie to see. He's the CEO of a huge investment bank that's about to that has discovered the crash is just a few days away. And he says, why do I get paid the big bucks? Because once a year I'm asked to predict the future. So anticipation is is everything. I um, saw what was coming down the pike. Uh, I started um, uh, looking at the virus issues in January. In fact, probably January 10th. Uh, a friend of mine sent me video from China. So um, I wanted everybody home by, by within a week. We were actually pretty much out of the office. Uh, I said it last Wednesday, actually. Um, we were pretty much out of the office and everybody was ready to go, started to work on um, at home on Monday. Everybody was pretty much out of the office by midday Monday, with the exception of just the people that... Um, that uh, need to uh, to be there to process mail, so um, that was that was it. It was technology based, but I wanted to do it quickly. Um, and uh, and I've already heard of some firms laying everybody off because they don't have that, which is just awful, right? And how do you keep going? But you know, unfortunately, I'm in the workers' comp business. We represent injured workers in Northern California, and the workers' comp courts aren't quite the same. So um, they've suspended all hearings this week. They've suspended the medical unit to get medical appointments for our clients. It's um, just because we are able to do it doesn't mean that the industry can do it. And um, so we are, we are running into our new challenges. And we, we have work, uh, 
we don't have Slack, but we have uh, Facebook Workplace, which is similar to Slack. So we're posting messages on there. We've told everybody that they need to check in with that. Um, we have set up a, what we're calling the Pacific Workers Cafe. We call ourselves PWC. Um, P- Pacific Workers Cafe, which is a drop-in um, at lunchtime, I guess, for about two hours, you know, and sort of bring your favorite beverage and, you know, jump on Zoom and talk to us. But most importantly, most importantly, it's about the leadership going to our people and talking to them in clear, direct messaging. I think there's huge opportunity that is going to come out of this. We're going to go low before we go high again. But there's going to be incredible opportunity that comes out of this for the places that can get their stuff right. This is a time to really streamline our processes and our answers and to our consistent messaging to our clients. <clears throat> if you're not gathering up the 10 most frequently asked emails that are coming in, then you're doing it wrong because you should be grabbing those, giving consistent answers to them and handing them back to your team and say, this is what you should say. Right. And um, because everybody's asking the same questions right now, your team has to know that you're a real leader and real leaders, you know, jump in and real leaders lead. This is it. It's not enough to have a title. That's nothing. So, you know, and I've been working really, really hard and developing people for this exact purpose. So 90% of the stuff is being handled by Irving, um, who's our director of operations. He has been in, in unbelievable in, um, you know, within one day he had, you know, 20 pages of, you know, frequently asked questions from working remotely. And then our wellness program director is putting out, you know, how to stay okay. And then I'm, I am literally listening to podcasts and joining webinars on how to lead a remote team. And, um, uh, you know, there's um, Michael Mogul, who wrote The Game Changing Attorney, uh, is putting out videos every morning that um, are, are spectacular. He's one of the smartest guys I know. And, um, and, and I haven't watched his video yet this morning, but I'll tell you what, I, I think it's my new meditation because uh, he gives me a lot of energy when I watch this stuff. So um, you've got to keep going. Meditation is, is a great way to, you know, to, to keep yourself calm. You're, if you freak out, your people will freak out. That's right. Yeah. So if you're an angry boss, you're going to have a lot of other angry people around. If you are a compassionate boss that really does have values, you're going to have people around that uh, that are compassionate and have values. So what we are right now is very much a reflection of who we are. My my partner, Bilal Qasim, is a far more calm person than me. So I'm the guy who reacts quickly. He's the guy who says, okay, but let's figure out how we're going to message really well. And, and I've practiced that over the last five years. And I've also practiced trying to listen over the last five years. Active listening shows empathy and trust and doing with your team and doing with your clients and teaching them how to do it with their coworkers, et cetera. We don't have any yelling and screaming in our office. It's the only law firm I've ever been in that doesn't have any. It's not okay, right? It's not okay. So if 
at this time, this is about clear, consistent messaging to your team. So your team can give clear, consistent messaging to your clients. And then we are posting on, on Facebook, um, all sorts of different things, uh, trying to inform the community as much as possible. So, um, that's how we're trying to operate. I don't have much else on that. I mean, it's the, if you're going to be, if you are listening to this and you're a leader of your law firm or you're a leader of a business, now's your time to actually be a leader. It's not just about the money you risked as an investment. That's right. It's about the trying times, Eric. And I so appreciate you explaining the humanistic approach. And honestly, that that really brings the 360 degree culture, right, of of the law firm. How do you feel that 360 applies now? And what is it? Can you give us a little bit about that? Well, I think a lot of what we've just been talking about is that 360 culture. One is it encompasses everybody. One, it's a humanistic approach. And um, and there's all sorts of things that really go with a culture, right? I believe discipline is just as important in culture than anything else. You know, the talk I give, I, I've got a slide of a foosball table in the tech world, right? And I say, this is not culture. That's fun. And you can have fun. Like we... Um, <laughs> We'll save a lot of money because every Friday we all get together, right? And uh, once a month we have firm lunches and we have big events all, you know, three times a year. Um, and so we'll, we'll, we'll save some money on that stuff, but that's our fun side. But you can only have fun if you got discipline. And discipline is, is the phone's answered every three, you know, within three rings that, you know, that it's transferred a certain way, that there's certain ways of doing things. And but that brings back in people say, well, you're too disciplined. No, we're, we're not even that disciplined. And, uh, and, and I preach discipline because it's really, really hard to get discipline into a company. So, um, but once you do all those different things, once you get your procedures down, once you get a good hiring process down, the right people in the door, then you can point the, you know, as Jim Collins wrote good to great and great by choice and some of the best books out there. As he says, you know, get the right people on the bus, get right the right the wrong people off the bus. And what that really means is, is you're setting a set of values, you're setting a mission, you're getting the right people on board who share those values, and the ones who don't, you get them out. It's as simple as that. It's kind to get the people who don't share the values out. Let them go find a place that's better for themselves. Yep. You're hundred percent right. Yeah. I actually just, I had to, Liel, I have to say something about this because I just looked up the definition of culture and the verb itself is to maintain conditions suitable for growth. Hmm. It's exactly what you're saying, yeah. Eric. Absolutely. Right? I mean, the word culture actually comes from the Latin cultus, which means to care. And if you're a business owner and you haven't started exploring people like Daniel Pink and Brene Brown and Simon Sinek yet, it's time. Yeah, actually, it's interesting you're you're mentioning uh, Simon Sinek because uh, he's he he was a few days ago uh, on LinkedIn, right, sharing a video and sharing and saying like 
how is he connecting with his team? How is he uh, uh, making what he's calling mon Monday morning huddles, where mm -hmm. he's basically inviting his entire team to join a Zoom call and they just have a few minutes of each talking about how they feel, right? Just kind of keeping that human connection because it's very easy when we are in situations in which we are now to become very transactional. When you're in our office working as a team, there's... There's small little interactions that are happening that are keeping the workplace human and personal. But yes. when you remove all of those elements out of the picture, you can uh, very quickly transition into a, a place that is mainly transactional and where you are just uh, the means to something as opposed as to one of the driving factors. And I think, um, you know, it's a, it's a simple video. It's probably a few seconds long, but yeah. it actually does a good, um, it, it, it just, it's a good reminder, right? And there's a lot of that content coming out now. And and I think uh, a lot of us can take a lot of inspiration on that. But I want to go back to something that you're saying here, Eric, that it's about hiring the right people. Uh, you make it sound very easy, but in reality, bringing on board the right people is not that uh, easy. What advice can you give to uh, business owners, law firm owners, as to how they should go about finding the right people for their team. And I know this cannot be a blanket formula, uh, depends the position, but just some high level advice that you can give us with regards to this. Leo, you're absolutely right. It's not easy to hire people. And boy, oh boy, did we go through a lot of people finding the right people. But it was, it, but we, we call it having a predictive hiring system. And there's plenty of great books out there on hiring. Uh, I think Adam Robinson's book, The Best Team Wins, is probably about the best that I have found. But, you know, I recommend to people to find a philosophy and then put it in. One of the reasons I like Adam, Adam Robinson's philosophies on this is he, his philosophy works whether or not, regardless of what, what you're hiring for, whether you're hiring lawyers or C-suite or the person in the mailroom. Um, essentially, we're asking the same the same questions. You have to start with, you know, with some deep stuff. You know, do you have a mission in your law firm? What is the mission? Do you have values? Have you written them down? Um, and then for each job, you really have to identify what are the soft skills that are required. You know, some of the hard skills. Ninety percent of hiring is not about the, the the hard skills, but you know, I do want to make sure they can you know write a sentence that that is grammatically correct. And, you know, know how to use a computer um, and uh, in a way that, you know, in a way that they can be efficient. But most a lot of those things are, are, are pretty, pretty uh, on these days or, you know, people know those things. So what we're looking for is a type of values. And we put out ads that, uh, you know, garner a lot of response. Um, and uh, and if we don't get a lot of response, we wait we wait until we find the right person. We've hired, you know, the wrong person just because our pool of candidates has been too sh too small before. Not a good way to hire. So we wait until we find people, and then we literally send them our job description, which are very detailed, and they try to encompass as much as we possibly can in the real, everyday, practical tasks that need to be done. We say you might be on the phone if you're an assistant case manager for six hours or more a day on the phone. If they don't like talking to people on the phone, forget it. If they can't connect with people, forget it. 
And then we have um, we have phone telephone interviews with about about ten percent of the of the resumes. And I'll tell you something else: if a resume has a typo in it, I don't care how good that person is or they look on paper, just go to the next one. If they can't even get their own marketing right, go to the next person. You're gonna hire a marketing, you know, a marketing executive who who has a typo in their own marketing document, no way. They can't proofread. So we just go to the next one, which is why you sort of whittle down to only about 10 people that you're gonna to talk to on the phone. Then we bring in, and it really starts to become clear about halfway through a phone call with them, who's right. Most important, and they're very scripted interviews, and we tell them in advance. There's a, uh, you know, we say this is going to sound really scripted, and it is because we want to give everybody the exact same questions so everybody has an equal playing field. And then we just ask the questions, and then we just sit back and listen. If we want to know more, we have basically two response questions tell me more, describe, and that's about it. Occasionally, we will. You know, they're always broad, open-ended questions because you want people to start talking. And I tell some good stories about this in the book, you know, the woman who, you know, uh, purposefully made somebody cry, you know, and she told this story with such, you know, she told the story uh, when when she was actually in the interview with, um, with pride, because I think that's what she thought law firms want to see. So, um, you know, it was, and then we identified immediately that she lacks empathy which is one of our core values. It's how you connect with clients. So, so you're going through and then, and then you're picking the three best people. Maybe you have five. It's unlikely. Um, usually you have one or two. And by the time they get to the office, you pretty much already know that they're right. Then you just want to get a look at them. Do they dress well? Do they, you know, have good hygiene? Do well, you know, uh, you know, do they will will they fit in? Will they fit into the office culture? And um, I, I gotta say, it's it's been very rare that they've got in our new. We've been doing this new hiring um, system for about a year, a little more than a year. It's very rare that somebody comes in that 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 we've brought in that we haven't actually offered a job to. You know, most people do it the same way. They bring somebody in because they see their resume and they say, oh, wow, they were an assistant in a law firm. It was a criminal firm. You know, we're a personal injury firm, but they'll be able to adapt. Right. And then they bring them in and they say, oh, we're a really great place. And we've got lots of clients and and, um, you know, we have happy hours, you know, every I don't know, every quarter or whatever. And um, we, we've got these great benefits and and we're really nice people. You want to work here? When can you start? Right. And they negotiate a salary and they negotiate a start date. You know nothing about that person. That's why, you know, essentially um, it is shut up and listen. That's an interview. That's how you learn about people. And when the when something comes up, you just say, wow, can you tell me more about that? Can you describe that situation? Here's another thing that uh, is my favorite in this process is, do they remain in touch with their previous supervisors, not their coworkers, their supervisors? Because real professionals, and you want to hire a professional, whether in the mailroom or they're in the you know C-suite, real professionals stay in touch with the people that have come across in their lives that have made it, that have been impactful. 
And most of those are supervisors. So, you know, that's a great way to tell. So the other way to tell is, you know, they say, well, I lost my job. There was layoffs. Well, not good enough. Can you describe what happened in the layoff? Were they part, was there half of the people in their department laid off or was the whole department laid off? Because, you know, we interviewed a guy that said he was laid off. Okay, well, that's always a little bit of a red flag to me. What's not a red flag is he says, my entire department was laid off six months ago. They wanted me to stay. So they pulled me into a different department and then they laid that department off. Well, boom, right there. If an entire department is laid off and they keep one person and he's the person that they kept to go to a different department before they laid off that entire department and didn't offer them anything new, you know, the company's going under or it's in really bad shape, but this is the one guy they're trying to keep around. So just because they say they were, uh, there was layoffs, don't move past that. Find out what happened in the layoffs. Were they, you know, if they kept half of the people, why weren't they the half that they kept? If they say something like, oh, well, I was being paid more than everybody else. So they let me go. Well, you know what? If I'm a company that is going through some tough times, I may want to keep the person that's worth more money, that's being paid more because they're worth more than the person who's being paid less. You know, at the end of the day, if it's a job that you're talking about the difference between $2 an hour, um, that they're being paid more, that's only 4,000 or so dollars a year, right? So if they're letting go the person who's being paid more, that's not, a, that's not the real reason they're letting that person go. So there's all sorts of things you can learn if you just listen and ask the follow-ups. That's how you, you got to get a pr predictive hiring method. Everybody that we've hired so far with the exception of one or two people have been spectacular. You know, calling a reference and, you know, I remember the very first person that we hired through this system, we kind of got to the end and I, I just knew what the references would say, but I didn't know they'd be that sort of gushing. And one of the women, and I actually tell this in the book, you know, one of the, one of the people that we called, um, the employee had moved away from the area to go to school. And she said, um, she said, well, you know, she had a life change and she left here. I wish she were still here. And she kind of talked about how great she was. And then she just said, look, if you don't hire her, you're just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really glowing recommendation. <laughs> right. Exactly. Or the person who I called who had worked at a bank and banks are notorious. You know, you can't call the former supervisor. They're not going to talk to you. They're going to say, call HR. This woman said, well, you got through to me because she put it on there. So here's my cell phone number. Call me after hours because we're not allowed to talk to you. So I called her after hours wondering, and she's like, same thing. She was like, we're not allowed to talk to you, but I don't know why I can't tell you all, all good things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's fantastic. So I think you actually, yeah. it's so in-depth, your response. I, we really appreciate that, um, particularly because I think it's giving a lot of people some help right now with everything that is going on, right? Because now I think, and I feel that the culture is an integral and always was, but this is kind of showing even more how important the culture is in a firm. 
right? How the leadership treats its people, how the people feel when they're there and how in turn the clients get treated as well, right? Because it's all from top down to everyone else. Absolutely. So I think, you know, um, you've spoken a lot about um, the culture and, and I know we've discussed a little bit about the 360 and all that, but with all these unprecedented times that are going on and with all the challenges that these attorneys are facing right now, how do you feel, what kind of information can you give us or can you help to navigate these current turbulent waters and essentially remain a pillar to the team? Can you give us some additional insights, some things that you've learned while you've going through this right now, specifically? <laughs> you want to ask me in a month? <laughs> I, you know what? We'll probably do this again in a month and hopefully we'll be in a better place. And that way you can tell us exactly what you've been dealing with even more so in a month. Look, um, uh, these are unprecedented times. Yeah. We're, we're living in a disaster movie. The collectively, I, I, I think you guys are in Austin, Texas. I'm in right? here. Grace is in Fort Lauderdale. Um, the Bay Area has treated this. We were the very first area, 7 million people to go on lockdown. This is headed your way, right? You need to, you know, you need to treat this as though you already have it, right? I know seven people or eight people now um, all over the world, not just here. Um, know somebody in London, two people in Bali, two people in Florida. So, um, this is going to be a massive, massive disruption to your business for lawyers. Um, prepare now if they're listening to this today or tomorrow. Um, I am going to do my best to keep chin up, think about the opportunities at the end of it. I might have to make some very, very hard decisions within a very short period of time. We are a business of cash flow, as most law firms. And um, we have to know, do we have enough to, to, to keep everything going? We are still signing cases, hallelujah, right? Um, but there's going to be opportunities. There's going to be opportunities for, for marketing, cheap marketing, <laughs> very inexpensive. I called. Yes, we're, we're, yeah. we're seeing it. I now. called my billboard company yeah. and I said, Hey, I got $6. How many billboards can I have? <laughs> they, they, they weren't, they weren't abused. Um, but uh, I know one of the biggest buyers in our area just canceled his order for next month. There's no cars on the road or there's very few. Um, we're going to see changes like we've never seen before. And they're going to go on for several months. Can you sustain and can you can you come back? And um, there's going to be a lot of hard, hard leadership decisions. Don't pass them to your team to do on your behalf. You're the boat captain. You're the ship captain, right? I've already said, if I go down, I go down and then I'll come back. I got kicked in the teeth in 9-11. I got kicked in the teeth in 2000 crash. I was representing almost all, um, uh, almost all dot coms back then in entertainment, media, and uh, athletes. So um, 2000 was terrible, um, and then 9/11 was terrible for everybody in a very different way. And then 2008 was terrible again. I, I had 90 some percent hourly clients. 
in one day, I had 14 clients go bankrupt in one day. It was the day they, they all called me the day after I set my highest billable hour back then on a new client. He called and said, I'm not setting the retainer. We're actually decided to close shop. So, um, yeah, this is, uh, we've been through it, but I don't think we've ever been through it like this. On the global scale. It is a global scale. All our stores are closed. All our businesses are closed with the exception of a very, very few grocery stores, gas stations, banks, drug stores. That's it. So can I tell you what's coming down, how I'm doing this? I'm meditating in the morning. I'm drinking a lot of coffee. I'm trying to get exercise. I'm meeting with my teams. And that's the best I can tell you right now. Yep. But clear, calm, direct messages. As soon as I get off this, I'm going to go sit in my backyard for a few minutes before I pick up the phone. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think we just need to also keep Keep the right mindset, right? Right now, particularly because of the shift of uh, changing our usual working environments, having our routine being as disrupted as it is now may, in a way or another, unbalance us in a way that we are now starting to pay attention to things that are very, very important, right? We all want to know what's the current status of the pandemic, of each one's local community, and what can be done to mitigate the, the damage. But at the same time, um, it's very easy to lose the focus on your business, your clients, your employees, and your uh, responsibility towards yeah. them. And so it's very, very important to stay focused, stay centered, and not let just uh, the overwhelming amount of information that's coming your way get to you. And I think, and I'm not going to say that, you know, um, previous times that we've been in similar in similar situations, we know that they're less impactful because of the sheer uh, size and magnitude of it. But I also think a big role in it is that probably this is the first time that we are coming through uh, situations like this, uh, living in a, in a media world, living in a world where we are 100% connected all the time to our mobile devices, TVs, you name it, right? And so we're bombarded all the time with information, it's making it harder for us to see uh, past that and keep focus on things that have to do with our business. You've mentioned uh, Michael's videos uh, that he's doing every single day. I think, um, you know, yesterday he brought up a very, very good point, which is we are paying too much attention as to what's happening stock market and what's happening with the numbers with regards to coronavirus, but what's happening with the numbers in your law firm? This is the time to pay attention to your this is the time to pay attention to your marketing numbers, to your budgets, and to see what you can do and what opportunities are there for you to explore. Absolutely. I don't want to say that these are not times that we need to uh, attribute importance where it lies, which is keeping our communities, our clients, our partners safe. But it's also time for us to find and be creative uh, about our businesses. So I really, really like that. And in that note, Eric, I really would like to ask you about something, an initiative that uh, you guys have, and I think it's fantastic and it's a positive one. And we'd like you to talk to us about that, uh, which is your Be A Hero program that you currently have in your law firm. Yeah, we've been doing that for a long time. Um, look, we, we consider ourselves heroes to the community. We consider our clients heroes to the community. You know, our clients, are the people that keep the community moving, they're healthcare workers, they're first responders, we're the largest supporter of the Oakland 55 
local Oakland 55 union, which is the most pretty much about the most powerful of all the unions in California for the firefighters. They're police officers, but they're also in-home healthcare workers. They're also delivery drivers. They're teachers. We represent a lot of teachers. They're retail workers. They're warehouse workers. Uh, they're, they're the people who keep our communities moving every single day. I spent 20 years representing athletes and entertainers. How important are they today compared with how important are the grocery store clerks? The first responders. We can just look at the backlash of the Imagine uh, video that the celebrities put out a day or so ago. That that didn't go out very no. well. Right now, they don't care. Right? Yeah. If you're $20 million a year, you know, I, I won't mention the team, but they said, oh, we're going to put in $100,000 or something to a fund for all the people who work at the, at the, uh, at the, at the, uh, stadium. I thought, yeah, are you maybe. kidding? It's like 15 minutes of your highest paid, you know, of your highest paid guy. So true. Like Mark Cuban, thank God for, the, you know, for Mark Cuban, right? He's paying everybody and he understands what's going on. And, you know, I don't know if anybody listening has any power out there in the, in the world, but, you know, to pay the airlines when nobody's flying is ridiculous to me. Right to give them three hundred million dollars, three hundred billion dollars to keep things going at the airlines. Forget it. When people want to fly again, then give them money. Right now, get it in the hands of the people who need yep. it. You know, that's that's it. I mean, look, I'm not trying to turn this into a soapbox of what's going on, but I'm here in Ground Zero. I mean, Seattle's really Ground Zero, but nobody shut down as fast as California. You're 100 right. My, my hairstylist, my, you know, you guys see me on video, so she's, you know, <laughs> there's not much to do every three or four weeks, but um, I'm going to have, you know, going to pay her. My gardener is still coming. Um, my, my pool guy, even though he sent a note saying he can't make it and I haven't figured out why. Um, there's going to be people out there that you're going to pay in advance because they need, they're, they're literally going from employed last week to zero this week. There's going to be 50% of the people are going to be out of work for at least a month or two or more. So we got big issues that we're about to face. And um, I know you guys aren't here, but I'm sort of, we're, we're, we are three days ahead of you. Well, we're, we're all in this together. Exactly. We're all in and it in, together. You know, yeah. And in Florida, wow, they haven't closed the beaches. Unbelievable. Spring break, spring break. Yeah. They're still having it. It's, it's, Who cares? Right. I don't yes. get it. <laughs> so if, if something coming out of it is that a lot of uh, um, things are, are getting exposed and it's going to be very hard uh, to excuse some of the behaviors that uh, in the past may have gone early on audit, but um, it's going to be hard to make those same arguments that have worked in the past in this climate. Eric, um, 
Thank you so much for your time. We know that these are uh, challenging times and the fact that you've uh, uh, still uh, uh, kept your promise to join us for this episode means a lot to us. I think if we would have recorded this a week ago, we would have had completely a different conversation. But quite honestly, I think that uh, this conversation, what you're sharing, how honest and human it is, is not just going to be useful for uh, attorneys uh, uh, around the country, but basically any business, whether you're an employee or you're the business owner. So thank you so much for it. You're very welcome. Listen, people could get the book uh, on Amazon. I'm going to talk to the publisher about dropping the price right now so people can grab it. You can also find me on like LinkedIn, uh, Twitter at Real Eric Farber. I'm on Facebook. If you want to send me an email, you just want to chat you just want a phone call or you know to try to you know run some ideas or you know as leaders we need our own support groups right um eric at farberandco.com um there is a site for the book i am putting out uh reading lists uh which we're supposed to start in april i think probably going to hold off just a little bit um you know with a blog i'm not I, i don't have a consulting company i'm not trying to jump in and sell you anything uh if you want to buy the book i'd love it um and uh great yeah. tremendous yeah and it's already at a great value honestly i don't i don't think that it requires for a price drop but uh absolutely uh anyone who has some time to dedicate to read something that's actually going to help them and help them a lot in this time highly recommend that book i am enjoying it a lot all of these uh links can be found on the episode notes so thank you eric again for joining us and uh, we're looking forward to having this conversation in the near future hopefully better times thank you you guys stay safe and all the listeners stay safe too okay thank you thank you grace um what an enlightening conversation and honest right because i mean we are all in a time of a lot of uncertainties, but there's one thing that is clear, right? We need to remain leaders, not just to our teams, but in our communities, to our clients, and to make sure we don't lose focus on the things that matter and the things that we have an impact on. And what we have an impact on is our organizations, whether it's a law firm, whether it's a marketing agency, whether it's any other kind of business, you can control up to a certain extent what happens inside your organization. So take charge of that and use it for the best. And Grace, again, like all of our conversations, there's so many takeaways and many of them are actionable, but we always have to boil it down to three. So let me put out what I think the first one should be and This doesn't change under any circumstance, whether we are in a pandemic or whether we are in business as usual, you should always put your team first. It's really kind of like a cycle, right? Leaders take care of employees, employees take care of the clients, and then the clients bring it all back to, to us, right? Their recommendations, their reviews, their continuous business is what keeps us afloat. And so I think that's the reason why we, we, we always put our teams first. And one thing that he mentioned, Eric, is that you need to build the trust, right? You need for your team members to be engaged enough to be able to accept 
when they don't know something, when they made mistakes, comfortable enough to know that they will have your support and that they will find guidance in you rather than fear and reprimand. So building trust is an essential element of putting your team first, okay? So I think we both agreed on that. What other uh, takeaway, Grace, do you have? Due to a latency issue, Grace's audio was momentarily lost. Anyway, at this point, Grace introduced our second takeaway, which is create lists, whether it's a failure log for improvements or frequently asked questions. Frequently asked questions so you can streamline communications within your organization and be consistent in the messages that you're putting out there, right? Uh, not only it simplifies things for your team, but it also enables for a better experience from the customer standpoint, from the client, for, right? For everybody. The worst, yeah. The worst thing is to be told by someone one thing and then call again and ask something similar and then completely hear a different message. It complicates, it creates confusion and then leads to frustration. And for your team, it just makes it easier for them to be able to know, okay, this is what I refer to. This is how I address this particular situation. Grace, that's the most important thing. I remember going back to my hotel days, like every time, and this was, we were talking about an uh, organization that had up to uh, 10, 15,000 employees around the world. And when things like this would happen, right, uh, we would get communications for corporate office with very, very specific guidelines as to how we should talk and how we should address every single question that could come in relation to a topic. So anyone across the organization, doesn't matter whether you were staying at a hotel in Tokyo or whether you were staying at a hotel in Atlanta, you would hear the same response and the same message. And so that's the power of um, having this kind of list in place. But let's now talk about the other one that you say, which is the failure log. So first of all, that ties back to building trust. Like you cannot expect for people to create a list like this if they don't know that they have uh, your support in uh, having conversations about failures and how to improve and take steps to get better results in the future. So, um, Grace, I honestly loved it. Yeah, that, I mean, it's super interesting, right? I mean, it's just a whole other way of looking at it, but it's always been there, I guess, right? And you and I always talk about consistency is key and the space to be able to converse about these issues. This is what the whole podcast is about. So to have the idea of a failure log is fantastic and it gives them your team a forum to have a discussion and improve themselves. I mean, there was something called indiv individual development plans when I was a manager at Target uh, many, many moons ago. And they that's what it allowed you to do. It allowed you to see put you in your highest and best fit and train on the things that you weren't good at. Um, it didn't put it exactly like a failure log, but it was a training log, which is the same thing. You know what I mean? It's these are the things I lack or these are the things that I need to get better at and call it a failure log. There's nothing wrong with failing. Failing is an opportunity, right? A hundred percent, Grace. A hundred percent. There is, uh, yeah, you know, and we hear this a lot uh, across many different companies. People are trying to demystify the concept of failing. Uh, it's part of the cycle. I guess you just want to make sure that when you are in that situation, you get up and move on, take a learning experience and get on with life. 
of course, you know, there's a difference between people who talking and preaching. We're talking about your average LinkedIn influencer telling you about, you know, I love failure because failure teaches me. I mean, that's an extreme, right? That's an extreme. You don't have to push at that point. But at the same, but at the same time, you need right. to understand that it's part yeah. of uh, business development, it's part of growth. And as long as you respond to failure with the right uh, approach, you should be okay. Okay. So um, that was a good point. Now, Grace, let's go to our third and final takeaway. Uh, what, what would that be? That is having to do with the company, right? Hire with a purpose. Isn't that the whole point, right? I mean, culture, how are you going to have a good culture if you don't hire with a purpose? So yeah. part of that is really, as he mentioned, as Eric mentioned, it's knowing your company's mission and values. You have to hire based on that. You can't just pick something out of a hat and say, oh, that person I think will be good, or this person will be great because they used to work at a law firm already, whether it's different from mine or not. No. Do you know your company's mission? Do you know your company's values? Are they going to fit with your culture? Are You have to work with these people every day or multiple times, uh, hours per day. And how many times, Liel, have you and I said, we spend so much more time with people we work with. Even you and mm -hmm. I spend more time together than half the people at home. I mean, right. now it's a little shifted a little bit, but even the remote workers have to spend separate separate themselves from even their own family while they're running around and having to do work. So right. hire with a purpose. Yes, and absolutely. Yeah. Know your mission, know your values. And every single candidate, just like Eric said, it doesn't matter if he's going to be a mailroom clerk or if he's going to be a C-level executive, you want to make sure that you are measuring them against your culture, your values. And of course, depending on the position, uh, you may be more interested to looking at attitude over skills, right? Because skills, you can teach skills, they can learn and they can adapt. But having the right attitude, having the right approach towards the business, towards your team um, is something that needs to come from within. Can't be taught. And Right. And so you want to make sure that you're bringing the right kind of personalities to support your efforts and that share your vision and your goals. Grace, this was another great conversation and we are carrying on, right? Because life carries on and we need to make sure that we find within these uh, challenging times that we are uh, opportunity for growth opportunity to improve ourselves, opportunity to become better in what we do. And I'm looking forward to our next conversation because there's going to be a lot of insights that will help us achieve that. So let's uh, get on it. So guys, as Liel said, we've made it our mission to help law firms grow to begin with and have no bullshit conversations as it is. And so everything going forward will be colored with obviously what is going on today. And so we will shift just slightly how we can help you um, besides the typical SEO and this, that, the other, how it's really truly being affected and how you are being affected. So we'll, we will do our best to um, have everything focused on that to assist you guys in this crazy time. And, you know, cause we're going through it too. So we're going to try and give you as much, um, insight and assistance as possible. And even today, uh, Eric on here, um, asked me a month from now. Right. And, uh, we will, 
we will ask him a month from now. And I think we will ask a bunch of people how are they faring, what they've learned. And we will share that with everybody. And you, listener, share your thoughts, share your experience. I'm sure there's a lot that we can learn from what you're going through. And we need, yes. we need to hear from you. We want to hear from you. So, Grace, thank you very much for keeping it real. And have everybody a great day ahead of you. Thank you very much. Thank you all. If you like our show, make sure you subscribe, tell your co-workers, leave us a review, and send us your questions at ask at We'll see you next week. Thank you.